All right, welcome to Equal Time Soccer. I'm Matt Pravratsky here with Gopher Soccer head coach Stephanie Galan. Steph, we have not had you on the show since the Gopher preview show, what feels like forever ago now. And there's been so many ebbs and flows, such a roller coaster ride of a really fun bounce back year for you all. Um, but I mean, the first thing we probably need to say is you're back outdoors this week on grass at the Gopher Soccer traditional home field of Elizabeth Lyle Robbie Stadium. So I know you've been training out there. First things first, what does it feel like to be able to come back to ELR and play a game there after having some very bizarro uh, bubble dome uh, college game experiences that we have not seen before? Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously we're really, really grateful that, um, you know, our crew was able to have the field ready to go uh, at this stage. I mean, there's some years where we're not able to get outside at all. And so to, you know, we, we knew that we'd be outside by this point. It was just a matter of whether it was going to be TCF or ELR. And the fact that ELR looks the way that it does um, at this stage of the year is absolutely fantastic. And, you know, having, uh, having played our last couple on grass on, you know, people's actual fields, it feels yeah. a lot more real. Um, you know, like it's it's just it's just weird being in the bubble with no fans and, you know, um, like no scoreboards and, you know, whatever we've been we've been dealing with. And so to get back in, you know, in our environment to feel like home is, you know, as, as much as it can with limited numbers of, of fans and, and everything else, you know, we're, we're excited to be back out there. Even that Iowa game where it was like windy as hell, the broadcast, you could hear the wind. That's how windy it was. And then Rutgers, I think the broadcasters mentioned that uh, you all practiced at Rutgers, obviously, on the in between the, the two matches. And it may have been your first time training on grass. But it's like getting those under your belt so that now you're comfortable again. Because people do probably underappreciate those who haven't played at a high level, sort of the difference between turf and grass. Even some really nice, even the really, really nice, short, perfect grass of ELR, the bounce plays a little different. The speed plays a little different. And your your women have been playing on turf like, you know, for so, so long for training. And so getting back on grass probably is kind of a big adjustment. But by now, do you sort of feel like you've gotten some chances to get comfortable and now they've sort of caught up to that? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, again, we we played a game at Iowa on grass. Then we played a game at Penn State on grass. We got to train at Rutgers once on grass before playing on grass. So those were like our four opportunities. And then, you know, this week we decided, um, you know, yesterday and today to uh, to train on grass, you know, despite the the weather today and everything else, we're like, we just need to, um, you know, we've right. got to get that familiarity. We've got to get back into, into a rhythm on, uh, on grass, you know, you like you strike a ball a little bit differently um, to, to get it to the same place. And so, you know, it's been, it's been great for, for our women to, to be back out there. Mm -hmm. And we we mentioned the road trip you were just on. You guys you guys dropped two games against Penn State and Rutgers, two really top ranked teams. Um, you were definitely within the game against Rutgers, you know, up and up until the very end. But even throughout, you know, that was a one zero game. Even against Penn State, you know, a three zero scoreline probably doesn't really do justice to how competitive the match was. But in particular, you know, I wrote about one progression the team taking going sort of from early this season and even sometimes other seasons sort of hesitant to take shots from distance, but they've sort of over overcome that and started taking chances. 
but then they weren't always making that decision early enough to sort of get a good contact. They were sort of like, oh yeah, I can shoot. But now they've started taking them and actually putting some sort of like a nice hit on the ball. But it's sort of, um, they haven't quite got to that combination phase of when, you know, the classic go for attack that folks might remember of getting wide, combining in the wing, maybe stretching to the end line and getting that diagonal ball back into the box. But for you all, you know, how are you sort of, focus what how can you specifically focus on getting that progression in the shooting offense to keep coming you know because there has been some of that progression since nebraska week one but what do you specifically try to do to get like the next ratchet and the next one and just keep getting more and more yeah i mean we we try to we try to put them in situations during training where they're creating um and getting the looks that we want them to to get uh you know maya um does finishing club consistently uh you know with the attacking group um on the weeks that we have the training load to be able to to do that um you know and and Honestly, after the Penn State game, you know, we spent uh, an hour on film where, you know, we went through the Penn State game and we had them break down. Okay, was that a shot or was that an opportunity? Um, and, and starting to like think about, you know, where are your high percentage um, chances coming from and are we getting enough in those areas? And, you know, when we're taking something that's a shot versus an opportunity, you know, what else was available? that would have made it an opportunity. Um, you know, so it's, it's a lot of, you know, what are we doing in training? How are we creating, how are we putting them in the positions that we want them to find themselves in, in games? And then you know, after the fact, how are we analyzing, um, you know, what, what we're actually seeing on, on game day, um, you know, versus, versus training and how can we help them, you know, grow through, uh, some of, some of those pictures. Right. Cause I think, I think even I may be guilty of this too, but I think especially fans when there's not scoring tend to focus a lot on like, we don't have goal scorers or the team isn't scoring goals. But I think as much of what's happening and you and I've talked about this before is the, even the instinct to help set up the goal is as important as like having a really good shot, you know, like, because if it's a really good opportunity, all you're doing is passing it into the goal anyway. So it's kind of like anyone can do it. So it's kind of like the, um, the final pass to set up the opportunity mm -hmm. is also, um, not always, I think sort of clicking for players too, even though you have players who are natural combination players, for whatever reason in that final third, it's not always there either. And I think sometimes people over assume like, who's the killer finisher? Where do we have this, you know, this great individual finisher, but sometimes it feels like almost the second to last move is also what's needed too. Yeah. And, you know, like, honestly, um, you know, we have kids who are bearing stuff in, in training, right. um, you know, right. and so they have right. the capability of doing it. And, you know, if you go back and you look at some of the games that, uh, that, that we've played where, you know, uh, like maybe one has fallen for us, but uh, mm -hmm. we've created like way more than that, that, that should have fallen. And mm -hmm. so, so like for, from our standpoint, you know, if we weren't creating enough opportunities, then we, um, you know, we'd be a little bit concerned, but we know what this group is capable of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on the flip end of the flip side of it, you know, we've given up way fewer dangerous opportunities um, on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've mitigated some things on the defensive end and, you know, like, it's again, it's not lacking opportunities. It's just lacking that final piece. And, you know, like 
one of the hard things about being an attacking player is you're going to fail a lot more than you're going to succeed. Right. And you have to be willing to fail forward, you know, like just because it didn't work one, like one time, like you have to want the ball again and you have to want to continue to drive and create those, those opportunities and take some risks. Um, you know, and, and I think that, uh, you know, our players are, are learning, um, you know, kind of that, that mentality of failing forward because we have a lot of girls who want to be perfect and, you know, they want the perfect look. Um, and, you know, we, we kind of broke down again, you know, what is a half chance, you know, and a half yeah. chance are those not exactly clean looks from high percentage scoring opportunities that you take just because mm -hmm. like, just because it's not perfect doesn't mean you don't take it. You know, it's when mm -hmm. you're taking those from distance that it's not a half chance at that point, you know? Right. So it's, um, you know, it, it's, again, it's kind of the, the decision-making and, you know, the, the willingness to, to fail and the confidence to do it again, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's a, it's a group that uh, we believe a lot in, we believe that they can, that they can get mm -hmm. it done. And we're just waiting for the, the lid to come off a little bit here. Yeah. Cause I think, especially like you said, can you get those half chances? You know, the benefit there is some of those cleanup opportunities. I think earlier on there were games where it was just over and over and over again, we would see like the backside run where someone was ready to clean up if it got deflected over and over where players were being disciplined. They were doing the right thing. They were following the backside sort of rebound opportunity that could happen even if it didn't sort of over and over. And that was the impressive thing to see it like over, I don't remember if it was like Illinois or which game I'm I'm remembering, but there was could have been that there, one. <laughs> yeah, there, there were there were moments where it was just that was just impressive of like, well, they must really be training this, or a player really is like dialed in because because if you're if there aren't any rebounds in the game, yeah. but you're still running in case there may be one, like that shows that sort of diligence and doing things the right way too. Yeah, I think you know one um one lineup tweet cuz there's been a lot I've been really you know we've had so much less time to talk one on one but the lineup the lineup and the rotation has been so different this year I think than than previous years in the sense that I think it's both changed week to week in part because players have been coming back healthier and taking on more minutes but also just I think you've adjusted in my opinion a little bit more opponent to opponent than in some previous years where it's like um, players, you're both rolling with players who are doing well in the game, but then also rolling with players who may work for a different lineup and vice versa. And so one tweak you made, especially that sort of started as a halftime adjustment and now has been permanent is sort of moving Meg Gray out of that holding role, pushing Katie Duong back. And then at the end of that game is when we saw Meg Gray up top. And that's when I tweeted, I was like, oh, wait. I forgot this might mean we get to see Meg Gray up top where, where she's sort of fun in combination. But I think, you know, my perception of that is it was almost a trade of like a higher floor sort of conservative change in exchange for a lower ceiling offensively, like moving Duong back in the rotation. But I don't know it. And especially cause Katie's that type of player where when her job is defensive, she's so diligent. She doesn't even make runs up as much, even though she could, cause she's like trying to be responsible. But for you, you know, how was that thinking of that rotation of tweaking a little bit of how that um, the midfield group uh, looked and sort of shifting a little bit? Yeah, I think, um, you know, part of it was, you know, for um, for Meg, like going to the the D mid role initially, um, you know, like 
that was that was something that she had to learn. Like that's not a natural um, role for her uh, and and stuff. And when we got to because she was, you know, she was one of our players who was uh, like came off of the break having, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. like came back late and and stuff as yeah. you know. Well, and, and, she, and she and she mentioned she had to, when she said she came back and had had to recover from COVID. Yeah. And I was like, "Wait, you went 110?" I was like, yeah. "You went 110 minutes?" Yeah. After, like it blew my mind that she lasted that whole yeah. first game because you know she said on the show she was like, "Yeah, I had COVID over break," and I was like, "Holy yeah. shit, this yeah. is crazy!" And and so you know, so with that, you know, in that uh, in that game she was just stretched, right? Mm-hmm. Like she was just a little bit tired. And so, you know, moving Katie into that role, um, you know, that's, that's a role that Katie has played before um, right. in different uh, in different environments and, mm-hmm. and things. And, you know, when we did that, all of a sudden, a game that had been really chaotic, like really settled in, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, teams are, teams are getting less dangerous looks and, you know, we're like, we're in, other teams ends for big portions of the, of the game. And, you know, Katie in that role is, you know, she positions really well to where she's picking a lot of things off. Um, Mm -hmm. She's not, she's not overextending herself physically. Like she has uh, in other spots on the, on the field at different, uh, at different times. And, you know, she's facing forward a lot more often on the ball. Um, Has the, has the entire field at her bay type of thing. Yeah. And, you know, and so she can, you know, she can dictate the tempo of play a little bit uh, out of that, that role. And, you know, we had her individual meeting um, just a little while ago. And, you know, one of the things that we, that we did talk about is, you know, picking and choosing her moments, because again, she's conserving a lot of energy in in this role now, choosing her moments of, you know, there's, there's times where, um, you know, we're switching the point through her or whatever. And it's like the Red Sea parts in front of her. And, you know, she doesn't have to stay, you know, that's, you know, and the, and the benefit to how we're playing too, is there's a natural rotation. If she, you know, if she does get forward to where we'll account for that space and not leave a a pocket open. So I think that's the next progression, like for her in, in that role. And then from, you know, the standpoint of, of Meg, Meg's one of our more dynamic attacking players, you know, like her Mm -hmm. interchange with other players, um, both within the midfield and, you know, up top is really good. Like she has some really good natural instincts um, from an attacking stand standpoint mm-hmm. that we think is gonna uh, is gonna result in something here. Right. Yeah. She's a little cheekier than other players. She's willing to do do stuff once in a while and like try some shit in that final third. And I that's like I started. Uh, what did I tweet after you? Uh, when the starting lineup for the last game came up, I said, wait a second, does this mean we might get like a Beisman Harper sub crew? I'm like, wait a second, could we add Meg Gray to that? And then I was like, hold on, could we throw a Katie Coker on top of that? Yeah. Could we do a, can we do a full spice like off the bench lineup where it's just all all grit and and moxie and hustle and then i started daydreaming about that bench squad and then then i started appreciating that lineup change even more but i think your point about katie is well taken in the sense that um i think like you said the optimum view of that in sort of the quote-unquote half court offense when you're possessing and possessing in the other team's um half is that she's sort of the quarterback almost at the at the circle like yeah. she can see everything in the possession she's that quarterback and then in the counter or even the sort of half counter if there's room if she can find her spot because i think as soon as she started playing holding then there was all this room in front where bowman was just like chewing up territory 
where she, yeah. I, I just felt like I was seeing her running through space like 12 times a game. And it's because, you know, Bo Duong was back. And so there was all this room, this turf. Yeah. Where Bowman was just always running at, like with the ball at the goal, because it, there were just those alleys, like you said. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, and I, yeah. So we we'll try and make sure we don't keep you too long. The season season is absolutely nuts for Steph. For folks who don't know, there's we've done this to players too, where I've chatted with them and they're like, I have to go get tested for COVID. Like actual medical protocols happening. Um, yeah. One other piece, and you've you've spoken before a little bit about the sort of cross cross athletic department relationships, but you 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 had a tweet this week, you know, congratulating Ben Johnson, who's a U of M alum, a Minneapolis native. He came back to be the men's basketball coach, and I know the athletic department, if not sort of close knit, has a lot of friendships, a lot of relationships across teams. Um, to say nothing of you know Beck Beck's tied to the basketball side uh, <laughs> through her partner, but I think. I think you've spoken before about just maybe fans of Gopher soccer or individual teams don't always appreciate sort of the interconnected nature of like when teams are succeeding, how it lifts some of those boats for you, you know, talk about what it means to have other successful high profile teams in the sense of both the energy in the building and the athletic complex, but also literal financial impacts when other teams are doing well. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one, everybody wants to be around winners and stuff, you know, and so when when programs are, are doing well, you know, it it really, really drives a lot of positive energy throughout the, the department as a whole, like, you know, it's, it's kind of the when one of us succeeds, all of us succeed. Um, you know, and there's been a lot of success happening around the department um, in the in the last couple of weeks here uh, across many sports on both the the men's and women's side. And you know, um, and and when teams are winning, you know, uh, more people want to want to give to the department as well. And you know, and right now in the in the times that we've been in, that's going to be absolutely critical. Um, you know, for for us to be able to operate. Uh, the way that we've operated in the past, right? You know, like this year, we've we've had to utilize, you know, our enhancement funds um, for things that would typically come out of a budget. And right. you know, to to get to where, you know, we're not, like we're back to things that should come out of the budget, coming out of the budget and the enhancement mm -hmm. thing, the enhancement fund being used for enhancements would be fantastic. <laughs> so, you know, from a, from a standpoint right now, you know, like, I mean, men's hockey is, uh, is is getting ready to to go into postseason play, and you know that's that's fantastic. Um, you know, we've uh, you know what the the women's uh, women's cross country uh, team was was able to do in track and field. You know, is is fantastic. Um, you know, uh, women's women's gymnastics. Uh, you know, wrestling. Like, you know, there's so many different programs who have. Uh, who have, who have been doing some pretty big things here in the last couple of weeks. It's uh, it's pretty fun to be around. And I, well, I didn't even realize I was doing this. This is such a great segue. I need to tell people I can announce now I'm becoming, I can't remember the name for it, a half share sponsor of the, for the, go for, for the go for women's soccer program. There's, there's a program that folks can sign up for to help, pay for um the once essentially once every four years or that's like the the spread out of the international trips that you all do folks will maybe remember 
the trip to uh, Italy that took place um, a couple years back. And your next one might actually be coming up kind of soon. But the um, but there's an opportunity. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put it on the website and on, on social media. But for those who really want to support these women and their ability to sort of take those trips overseas and get that experience, um, there's a really great way to support uh, those players, I'm personally going to support that, but I, others I'm sure will want to as well. And I think it's important to remember, you know, student athletes, like a, like a soccer player who are working out so much on top of their coursework really don't have a chance to study abroad. And so it's a, it's kind of a cool way for you all to get a good soccer experience, but also a really kind of cool international experience. And I also remind people all the time, not all of these players are on like full yeah. or close to full scholarships. Not, not all of these players have, you know, absurd means, even if, even if others are maybe comfortable financially. So yeah. happy to support that fund. I'll put it in the notes and make sure I, I didn't realize how much I was segueing myself on that, but we will do that. Um, right. And coach, uh, we did have one, I thought one listener question that I thought was really kind of a cool thing that I don't think I've ever asked you to talk about for you, you know, how do you think about how the style of soccer has changed since you were playing at Duke to now? And how has some of your sort of coaching approach, uh, your approach to the game changed because of that, you know, in terms of, oh, this is how even the college game or the game itself used to go. And so now I'm changing my approach. You know, what are some of those changes over time that you've seen? Yeah, you know, I think, um, well, I think from the, the standpoint of just the, the sheer number of opportunities has increased by so much. There's so many opportunities for uh, women to go and play at the, at the college level, um, you know, and so you're getting uh, a lot more talent spread out um, amongst a lot of different programs where it used to be, you know, like, you know, two and three programs who were really, really good at the highest level. And now you're seeing, you know, more teams advance in for season play and, uh, you know, more teams competing at kind of a, a high, high level. And so, you know, I, I would say that um, back when I was playing, there were, you know, there were a lot of teams where it was just based on, you know, athleticism and right. you know, physicality piece and, you know, um, and players, you know, they showed up, they were fit, they did the work, um, you know, and it was like, and you just, you just showed up and you, and you did it just because that's what you, what you do. Right. And, you know, now I think, um, you know, the, the student athletes, they really, they really want to understand and, you know, kind of why are we doing it this way? And, uh, you know, I think that the, you have a mix, like I remember when I was playing, um, you know, you would think about the big 10 mm -hmm. just being a big physical conference, you right. know, and now while there's still some, some programs that, that have that piece, you know, I think right. that there's a lot more, um, actual soccer being played, uh, with, within the conference. And, mm -hmm. you know, you, you see a variety of styles across, uh, across the country and, you know, the accessibility to watch games and stuff, you know, like yeah. when yeah. I was playing, like, you had no idea what was happening in other games all over the place. Now, right. you know, our, you know, our student athletes know people's records. They know who's scoring. They can go and watch things and stuff. So right. there's just, there's a lot of different elements and it's how do you, you know, how do you narrow down and zone in on what, what they actually need to know? Um, mm -hmm. And how do you, how do you prepare them and prepare them properly when they can access so much information, right? Like there's times where you're, where you're playing a team that you may not want to build up as much as you, as much as they're right. building up in their minds. And then there's times where you want to build somebody up. Right. It's difficult to do so because they're seeing all the other pieces of it. You know right. what I mean? Right. Right. For sure. 
Yeah, the team, well, especially because I don't know if this is unique to the Gophers. Everyone probably does this a little bit, but there's such a history. I've even joked with Maddie Castro when we're in between, you know, at halftime or something, we'll be talking about stories from her era. And I'll, rem- I'll I don't remember individual games that much, but I do remember some heartbreaking ones. And it's like the ones where the team just plays to the level of competition. And it's just because you're either over underthinking it or whatever goes into it. But yeah, it's, and I think to your to your point about physicality, I st- my favorite anecdote um, about a different conference or about college soccer is Emily Bunnell when she came on and talked about her transfer experience, mm-hmm. talked about being at Baylor and that like the team, not just the players, but like the team itself officially bragged about like having the most fouls in the country. Yeah, and I was like, I was like, I mean. That seemed really weird to me, but, I, but it, it like shows that the Big 12 is just really physical. I mean, it's like a, you know, it's a football game. I mean, like they're literally just like hammering each other. But I found that so hilarious. It made me picture you putting like, we need to get the most fouls this game. It, it seems I it seemed like kind of funny how it ebbs and flows that way. Like, you know, like in our in the Penn State game, you know, right. it was single digit fouls total. Right. And, you know, there have been games where, you know, there's been like 30 fouls between the two teams. And you're like, what? You know, right. so it's really, really interesting. Well, because Rutgers or Penn, I can't remember which one. I think Rutgers was the one where he really was letting most stuff go. Or maybe I'm thinking of Penn State. But it was there was a game, one of your recent games where they really were letting a lot happen. But pretty fairly, like there wasn't an egregious split. And it is funny how the next one would just call everything or whatever. Right. Yeah. I specifically remember the time where a player ran into Katie Duong and then took Katie down and then complained for a foul. And I was like, I was like, Katie Duong is like five, three, like 110 pounds soaking wet. What are you arguing for? Like, no one's going to believe that she took you down. You cleated her. Like it was just. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> and so uh, this the last thing we'll we'll go out on is you obviously have, we have these three home games, which are just going to be so fun to watch at ELR, even just on the broadcast, to be able to see that home field against um, Purdue. And then, uh, oh, I'm going to, this is great. I'm gonna, what's that? Maryland. Maryland and then Wisconsin to finish things out. And then after that, we have this Big Ten wildcard weekend, which I wrote in sort of a silly way that, like even back then I was hearing word was it's kind of an East West cluster group play single elimination type deal. And then that will funnel into the big 10 tournament. I'm only asking you live on air because the broadcasters for Rutgers said as much on the air. So I'm assuming you are not going to get in trouble for speaking to that, but what's the, what can folk expect? Are you just going to have a couple games on wildcard weekend? Is it basically each oh, I- plays two games? I believe that the way that it's it's going to be set up, and again, you know, we're waiting for uh, right. for the conference to confirm everything. I believe mm-hmm. that there's going to be two sites for uh, mm-hmm. each side, and at like at the at the end of the regular season, so after we play mm-hmm. Wisconsin and after all those games are done, that mm-hmm. like we'll be seated, and so you know, the number one seed um, will have a bye because you know you have. Right. Uh, per side and they would play the winner of four versus five um you know and then two plays uh two plays seven three plays six and the winners of those play at the other site and whoever wins that second game um is like will will advance to the big 10 um semifinal 
Okay. So it's, it's kind of like a, almost like just an all conference conference mm -hmm. tournament, which is kind of actually kind of fun. I don't, I don't hate that idea. Although I guess you guys as a former winner of the tournament as a six seed, you know, prove the concept that like anything can happen. Um, but that'll be great. Okay. So now we have a little, little more details there. Well, Steph, thank you so much for being with us for those who, um, who will be listening to this in time. I don't know when people will listen or watch, but uh, the Gophers play Purdue. Kickoff is at 1 p.m. It'll be on btnplus.com. Maddie Castor and I will be calling the game again. Another super fun opportunity. Um, so tune in there or follow along with live tweets. I, my ringer, uh, Mark, is going to be tweeting any game that I have to announce. So we have him in for backup duty. Uh, thanks so much, Coach, and thanks for taking the time. We'll we'll see you tomorrow at the game. Awesome. Great. Thanks, Matt. And, you know, just a, a, a shout out to both you and Maddie. Um, you know, you guys have done a fantastic job on the on the broadcast. And, you know, we're we, we feel like we've got the best broadcasters um, of the of the bunch. So, you know, thank you guys for taking the time to, to do that for the girls. It's well, what a silver lining of COVID causing absolute havoc on the production team and them needing a couple of ringers and then it being literally the most fun I've ever had in my entire life. So and getting to do it with Maddie has been a blast. So we appreciate it. Um, everyone tune in if you can on Big Ten Plus. Otherwise, follow along and uh, follow the highlights. Good luck against Purdue, coach.